Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is the place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat Shalom. There's a moment in Tom Stoppard's play, Leopoldstadt, that continues to resonate with me, even though it's been some time since I saw it on Broadway. If you haven't seen it, Leopoldstadt tells the story of the Mers Jakobovich family living in Vienna from the late 1800s through the 1950s. We move through the decades in the play, watching the family assimilate into Viennese society, all the while knowing, of course, how this story will end. As anti-Semitism rears its ugly head in Europe, the family, who believe, by the way, they are immune to the virus because they embr- their embrace of their Austrian identities and the opulent home they live in starts to shrink and shrink before our eyes until we learn, of course, that many of them were murdered in Auschwitz. The one scene that stands out for me is when Hermann Mers, the patriarch of the family, who desperately wants to be accepted into society, into high society, and tries to achieve that by shedding his Jewish identity and converting to Christianity, by the way, not uncommon at the time, describes to his brother-in-law the moment he decided to not be a Jew, as he says. When he was a child, his grandfather told him about the time his hat was snatched off his head and thrown to the ground because he was a Jew. What did you do? Young Ehrman asked his grandfather. Why, I picked up my cap, he said, and I had a good laugh about it. Now, I want you to contrast this story with one that describes another moment in Jewish history. Amos Oz, one of Israel's greatest novelists, describes in his book, A Tale of Love and Darkness, the night of November 29th, 1947, when the UN voted to partition the land, creating a Jewish and a Palestinian state. He told how, as a young boy, Amos rode on his father's shoulders through the ecstatic streets of Jerusalem, and long after midnight, Still wearing his dirty clothes, he crawled into bed. Moments later, Amos felt his father get into bed with him, not to scold him, he said, for still being in his clothes, but to tell him how when he, Amos's father, had been a boy, students at his Polish school had stolen his pants. When Amos's grandfather went to the school to complain, the, jo- the boys joined by the girls attacked him, took his pants as well. It's a story of utter and complete humiliation. Then Oz relates, his father said to him with a tear coming down his cheek early that morning of November 30th, 1947. He said, bullies may well bother you at school or in the street someday, but from now on, 
from the moment that we have our own state, you will never be bullied just because you are a Jew. Not that. Never again. From tonight, he said, that's finished forever. Two moments in Jewish history. What choice do you make in those moments? How do you respond? Ehrman Meres responded by saying, I'm going to, to hide that part of my identity because I don't want to be on the end, on the receiving end of that kind of anti-Semitism. Amos Oz's father responded by becoming a proud, fierce Jew, which was the, 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 the feeling of the time in Israel. Embracing the ethos of Zionism, not just to be in Amchov Sheba Artsenu, not just to be free, a free people in our land, a nationalist movement that was about sovereignty and self-determination, but Zionism as a therapeutic process to fix and to heal the Jew from experiencing and feeling a sense of powerlessness of weakness, and in the process, creating what we call the new Jew. A Jew who says, I don't need to walk away or stay silent when my hat is knocked off my head. On Thursday, January 4th, the women's varsity basketball team at the LaFell School it's a Jewish day school in Westchester, happens to be the school where four of my six children attend school, was playing Roosevelt High School in Yonkers. As one student reported, the game became hostile earlier and the girls on the Roosevelt team were shouting free Palestine. They were hurling other anti-Semitic slurs at the players. As it was reported, one player saying, I support Hamas, you effing Jew. The LaFell team decided to end the game early and were ushered out of the gym with security. Now, of course, the LaFell basketball players are not the first team from a Jewish school or a school from a predominantly Jewish neighborhood to experience anti-Semitism on the playing fields or the courts. As recent as last September, a high school football coach in Cleveland resigned after the team used the word Nazi and other racial slurs in, in playing calls, in calling plays, excuse me, on the field when they were playing against the team from a heavily populated Jewish town. There is nothing about the story at LaFell that I find particularly surprising. The part of the story I've not been able to let go of is something that was not reported in the press. After the game ended early, after the players from LaFell had experienced anti-Semitism and been ushered off the court with security, or actually before they were ushered off the court with security, the girls lined up, I can only imagine at the urging of the coaches, and shook hands and gave high fives to the other players. Now, how do you respond to anti-Semitism? What choice do you make when subjected to that kind of hatred? Kohelet says there is a time for hate and there is a time for love. In other words, context matter. Don't get caught up in the, the words hate and love, but, but context matters in how we respond in this charged time. In other words, this isn't a typical moment of trash talk on the field. 
in this charged time, when we live in a world where events like October 7th happen, where Jews are targeted, raped, and murdered simply for being Jews, when someone calls us an effing Jew, that's not the time for a handshake. Or as the school suggested in a communication with parents, a face-to-face meeting with players from both teams to talk it out. And while I know a coach was fired and a player was suspended, I'm far more concerned with how we respond to our children. This was and is an important and impactful teachable moment. I would have preferred to see a strongly worded statement from the school that this kind of behavior is unacceptable. This would have been a powerful opportunity to gather the community together. My guess is that for many students, they have limited experience in confronting behavior like this so directly, so targeted. What are the possible responses? Communicate the message that it's okay to be outraged by this event, that we are not powerless to respond, and we don't need to feel silenced or to run away from making public statements because, as my mother would have said, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to make too much noise. We don't want to be too loud. I want our kids to know that we are strong, that we are proud Jews, and that we should walk through this world wearing that, owning that, and not burying this story in the pages of the New York Post because we don't want to bring unnecessary attention or embarrass another community. We learned this very lesson from an unlikely source in this week's Torah portion. As the moment of redemption gets closer and closer, the Israelites are commanded to offer the Passover sacrifice. And the Torah is very specific about how the meat of this sacrifice should be prepared. It says, do not eat it undercooked or boiled in water, but only roasted by fire, its head with its legs and with its innards. Now, why did the Torah insist that the meat had to be roasted? over an open flame. So one commentary, the Dad Zikanim, a compilation of medieval commentators, and I'm grateful to Rabbi Elia Perlson for, for bringing this source to my attention, teaches that partially raw and fully cooked meat don't always have a smell. But think about grilled meat. Think about your neighbor having a barbecue. Think about the, the glory of that smell right, of roasted meat from a distance. It's one of the great aromas of life. Even though freedom was coming, you can imagine that the Israelites continued, the slaves continued to fear their Egyptian taskmasters. The sheep was worshipped by the Egyptians as a god. And in order to not arouse the wrath of the Egyptians, the Israelites were going to eat it partially raw or undercooked quietly, not making too much noise, hoping that they wouldn't smell the sacrifice. The Egyptians wouldn't get too upset about what was happening. God said to the Israelites that that's not the way for a free people to walk through the world. In essence, God was instructing the Israelites to stop walking with their heads down. Instead, our ancestors, ancestors were commanded to pick their heads up high and be proud of the fact that they were Israelites, that they were free people. 
Roast that lamb, God was saying. Let the smell permeate and make sure that the Egyptians know what is happening literally underneath their noses. Friends, the prophecy of Amos Oz's father that morning of November 30th, 1947, when he said, from now on, from the moment we have our own state, you'll never be bullied just because you're a Jew, not that, never again. Those words have sadly not been fulfilled. And in this historic moment, in this crossroads moment that I believe Jews will be talking about and commemorating for hundreds, if not thousands of years from now, the choice of how we respond to this moment rests solely in our hands. When faced with the reality and sometimes danger of anti-Semitism, we can choose to retreat, we can pull back from Jewish practice, to scale down our identities, to not make too much noise. The other choice is to celebrate our heritage exactly when it is most threatened, to embrace ever more tightly what some people want us to abandon, to show up for community, as we have done, to support Israel, as we will continue to do, to make Jewish choices about how we live our lives, and to proudly advocate for Jewish concerns, safety, and security. And should you need some motivation to make that choice, I recommend that you Google Tal Becker and watch him defend the state of Israel against charges of genocide at the International Court of Justice. He was standing in The Hague, but Tal Becker was speaking to the world. It was brilliant, it was courageous, and it's inspiring. One of my favorite quotes is from the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. I read it every morning because it's taped on the inside cover of the prayer book I use each morning. He says, we are a people defined by history. We carry our past with us. We don't walk through this world as lonely individuals disconnected with, from past, with past and present. We are characters in the world's oldest continuous story, charged with writing its next chapter and handing it on to those who come after us. As our ancestors prepare to leave Egypt and experience redemption in this morning's Torah reading, and as we stand in the midst of a significantly enormous moment, of Jewish history. Let us remember the many occasions in our past when Judaism was renewed and perpetuated by people who made the choice in the face of hatred and oppression that their experience would not be the end of Judaism, but the inspiration for writing a new chapter. That's what Moses meant when he told us to educate our children. Today, let's pick up that mantle and proudly, confidently, fearlessly write that new chapter, our new chapter. Let's write it together. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah, El